This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Good morning, church. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew 13. That's where we'll start this morning. Also, you can download the listening guide in the description below of the live stream so that you can follow along as we study the word. Well, happy new year, right? Doesn't it feel kind of good to officially be done with 2020? Like with all the crazy stuff that's happened, it's just nice to know that it's behind us and that you know, we can have hope to look forward to this new year. Now, obviously, 2021 isn't going to be a perfect year. Uh, it's going to have its ups and downs, just like any other year. But I definitely think there's a sense of relief with this new year. Uh, and it's important to start the year off with the right mindset so that it can set us up better for the rest of the year. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take a step back, recalibrate, and think about starting this year off strong. And as we begin to recalibrate, I want us to start by thinking about the parable of the hidden treasure found in Matthew 13, 44. It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I think about that parable and I'm like, man, that must be some treasure. Like for someone to sell everything he has so that he could have that treasure, it's got to be extremely valuable. But if you think about it more, you'll realize, wait, that's me and that's you. If you're in Christ this morning, then you have a treasure that's so valuable that it's worth selling all that you have to get it. And this treasure is God himself. But selling everything isn't the point of this parable, right? We're not gonna buy God's love by selling all that we have. The point of this parable is to ask your heart a question. Does your heart treasure God? Truly. Does your heart treasure God? This is the question that Jesus was asking his followers when he told this parable. And I believe, I believe that this year, in 2021, this question is just as relevant, which is why I believe this is a foundational question for us in 2021. And you'll see this in your notes. Would this be the year that you treasure God above all else? Would this be the year that you treasure God above all else? I believe that by making this decision, we will be able to set ourselves up for a great rest of the year. When I reflect and answer this question, I think about what are the most valuable things that I have? Well, I think about my car. I mean, even though it's not really that nice of a car, so that one might not count. Uh, I think about my motorcycle. I think about all my music gear. I think about my computer and my clothes. I think about our church and all the great friends that I have here. 
I think about my awesome family and my amazing wife. Like, I think about all these great things. And then I ask myself, where does my heart ultimately lie? Because Jesus said in Matthew 6.21 that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is God my ultimate treasure? Is he where my heart ultimately lies? I want to treasure God above all else, even the best gifts that he has given me in this life. I want to treasure the giver more than the gifts. When thinking about what this looks like, it may be hard to reflect without thinking about your works or how solid your spiritual disciplines are. And these are things that you should reflect on regularly, for sure. But for this morning, I want to challenge you to look deeper. Look at what motivates your works. Look at what fuels your spiritual disciplines. Look at your heart. Does your heart truly treasure God above all else in everything that you do? And if not, would this be the year that it does? The sad reality is that there are many professing Christians who believe in God, yet words like love, affection, and longing wouldn't be used to describe their relationship with God. Many people believe in God with their minds and with their intellect, but a genuine passion is nowhere to be found in their hearts. This is dangerous, yet it's the case for so many people in the world today. When Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew 15, he quoted the book of Isaiah and said this, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. God is very concerned with what your heart says about him. If, as you reflect, you find that your heart lacks passion for God, I would encourage you to pray. Pray that God would reveal himself to you as ultimately glorious so that your heart can truly treasure him. Because none of us come to this conclusion on our own. God, in his sovereign mercy, draws us to himself and reveals himself to us that we might have faith in him and see him for who he truly is. So would we start this year strong? Would this be the year that you treasure God above all else? I hope so. All right, so now that we've laid the foundation by asking that question, let's dive into the scriptures and see what this practically looks like for your life. Turn with me to Psalm 63. We're gonna uh, look at verses one through eight and see what David has to say about this. He says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied 
as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Amen. Through this passage, it's pretty clear that David treasures God above all else in his heart. But let's look at some specific ways that this is evident in this passage. In these eight verses, we see at least three different outcomes that flow from the heart that treasures God. And the first that we see is this. Your relationship with God becomes a necessity, not a convenient addition. Your relationship with God becomes a necessity, not a convenient addition. We see this very clearly in verse one, where David says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This blows my mind because we know that when David wrote this psalm, he was in the wilderness. He most likely wrote it when he fled Jerusalem because of his son, Absalom. You can read about this more in 2 Samuel 15 if you're interested. But that's crazy to me because here David is out in the wilderness, probably uncomfortable and missing the pleasures of being king. And he's saying that his soul thirsts for God and his flesh faints for God. You've got to wonder why it is that even in the midst of all that's happening with David, his relationship to God was of utmost importance. This is because he treasured God above all else. Also, when we look at verse one, the verb seek is related to the Hebrew noun for dawn, which probably explains why some translations like King James and the New King James Version say, early will I seek you instead of earnestly. This is showing us that from the moment David wakes up, he longs for God. He thirsts for God. How many of us can say that this is a reality in our lives? It's a tough thing to grapple with. Like most of the time we wake up and we're just like, man, some eggs and bacon really sounds good right about now. Or for you Southerners, mm, some biscuits and gravy really hit the spot. <laughs> or for my fellow Dominicans out there, some mangu con salami, ya tu sabe. Mm. <laughs> but we see the example from David here. David knows that his relationship with God is more of a necessity than food or water. He craves God in the morning more than he craves his nourishment. In a way, David sounds desperate here, but the truth is he is desperate. David fully understood the necessity of his relationship with God. He understood that it was a matter of life and death. With God, there is life, and without God, there is no life. Just like with food and water, there is life, and without them, there is no life. David understood this, and he knew which of the two was more of a necessity. Now, hearing this might sound kind of extreme, but 
this is biblical Christianity. Jesus taught that if we prioritize anything above him, then we are not worthy of him. If you don't believe me, check out Matthew 10, 37 through 39. You'll see it very clearly there. But we see here that David shows us that his relationship with God is an absolute necessity. However, that's not the case for everyone, is it? Many professing Christians today could characterize their relationship with God as a convenient addition to their lives. Their relationship with God is simply something that they've added onto their plates, right? You know, yeah, I've got family, work, money, health, success, sports, sex, exercise, food, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've got God too. He's, he's there as well. So many professing Christians act like that. They say they believe in God. They go to church, and they might even attend a community group, but only if it's convenient for them. You know, God simply fits into their lives wherever there's no tension, and only as long as it doesn't interfere with the other more important priorities in life. Is your relationship with God a necessity or a convenient addition? Does your heart resonate with the heart of David when he says that his soul thirsts for God as in a dry and weary land where there's no water? Or do you only seek God when all the stars align and you happen to have a moment of spare time? Where is your heart on this matter? Does your heart long for God more than it longs for your family? Does your heart long to spend time with God more than you desire to get an extra hour of sleep? Does your heart desire God more than it desires money or success or anything this world can offer? I truly pray it does. If you're anything like me, sometimes you just want someone to spell it out for you. Well, how do I know for sure if I treasure God above all else in such a way that my relationship with him is a necessity and not a convenient addition? Well, the honest truth is, I can't answer that for you. I am not God. I don't know the depths of your heart like you might or like God certainly does. But what I can offer is some practical advice through a biblical lens that might point you in the right direction. Scripture often talks about things that are external evidences of internal realities. This applies to what we've seen in the text. We've seen how David's relationship with God is truly a necessity, and we know this because it is his highest priority, even when he's suffering out in the wilderness. This is an external evidence of an internal reality in David's heart. If your relationship with God is your highest priority, then I would say that is great evidence of your heart treasuring God above all else. And you should be affirmed in that. You should be encouraged. If that's not the case for your life, then the good news is it's not too late for you. But don't wait. Start today. Make your relationship with God the highest priority in your life. And I truly mean the highest priority in your life. So here are some practical ways you can do this in 2021. These could even be some spiritual New Year's resolutions for you. 
Number one, read your Bible every day. Make it a huge priority to read the word of God. And if you miss a day, don't get discouraged. Just continue the next day and build this discipline. There are many Bible reading plans that can help you with this, and we've actually included a bunch in the Mill City Weekly email to help get you set up this year. Number two, pray to God throughout the day and set aside some time for focused and intimate prayer daily. You don't need to stay up all night praying, but be consistent and communicate with God regularly. Number three, read some good Christian books this year. Don't set a crazy, unattainable goal for yourself, but if last year you didn't read any Christian books, then maybe this year a practical goal could be to read two or three. Make it something that's achievable. Number four, memorize some scripture. We're also including a section on scripture memorization in our weekly email this year. This could be a great practice for you to buy into in 2021. Anyway, this could go on and on, but the point is there are many external evidences that demonstrate the internal reality of our hearts. And at the end of the day, you are going to have to be the one to grapple with the important questions. Is this going to be the year that I treasure God above all else? Is this going to be the year that my relationship with God will be a necessity and not simply a convenient addition. The second outcome we see that flows from the heart that treasures God is this. Your worship becomes a delight, not a duty. Your worship becomes a delight, not a duty. The word worship, by its definition, means to show reverence and adoration for God. So we're not simply talking about singing to God when we talk about worship. Worship is something that the Christian does in many different ways. For example, we worship God when we pray to him. We worship God when we study his word. We worship God when we are humble and hardworking in our jobs. And yes, we also worship God when we sing praises to him. So in all of the senses of the word, your worship becomes a delight, not a duty. We see this in verses three and four. They say, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. It's very clear here that David's worship to God is pure joy to him. This is, something that, this is not something that David feels like he has to do, but rather something that he wants to do. It's not a duty to him. Look, he's singing. He's lifting his hands. He's praising God because his love is better than life itself. David's worship is an overflow of joy from his heart. It is a delight for him to worship God. There are so many things in life that we don't want to do, but we do them because we know it's good for us. For example, from a very young age, we're taught to eat our vegetables because they're healthy and they're good for us. Now, if you're anything like my wife, Devin, you absolutely love vegetables, so this example means nothing to you. But for a lot of us, vegetables aren't the most enjoyable part of the meal, but we eat them because we know we should. We'd much rather be having 
pizza or a burger. But because we want to be healthy, we eat a good mix of vegetables in order to keep a good diet. It's like, I guess I'll eat my vegetables. They're not the worst thing in the world, and I want to be healthy, so I guess I'll eat them. I feel like this is such a relevant example for many Christians, except my wife, of course, who, like I said, absolutely loves vegetables, which I guess I'm not too mad about because otherwise, you know, I might be a little fluffier around the edges, uh, but I digress. (laughs) Anyway, I feel like this is super relevant because I think this is the way a lot of Christians approach worship, again, in all areas of life, not just singing. We're like, yeah, you know, I'd rather be doing other things, but like, I guess worship isn't the worst thing in the world. Like, it could totally be worse, and you know, I know I should do it because I want to get to heaven someday, so. This shouldn't be the case for us. If you are in Christ, it should be a delight for you to worship God in all that you do, not a duty that you do because you think you should, I think back a few years ago when I was in college, my roommate Baruch and I, we hosted a Super Bowl party in our apartment. This was the year that we made the craziest comeback in all of Super Bowl history against the Falcons. I remember how excited we were and how passionate we all were. We were all shouting and throwing our hands in the air anytime the Patriots would score. It was crazy, and it was an awesome night. And I think about how our emotion and our passion towards the game actually fueled our fun that night. Like, if we had just sat there emotionless, the game would have been a lot less enjoyable. But the fact that we were shouting and throwing our hands in the air made it so much more weighty on our hearts. Like, we were completely invested. I think about how that's the reality for a lot of people, yet... When it comes to our worship towards God, we lack emotion and passion. There's a temptation in our culture to be more passionate about things like sports than God. Or let's talk about singing for a second, since that's usually the first thought that comes to mind when people hear the word worship. When you go to a concert or when you're alone in the car or in the shower, you're singing at the top of your lungs and you just feel the music, like, like you're feeling it. I don't know, but something about a concert or being alone in the car or shower makes anyone instantly sing as good and as passionately as John Legend or Beyonce, take your pick. So how much more should we have strong affections and passion for the worship of the one true God? More than a football game, and more than a concert. Now, this is going to look different for everyone. Not everyone expresses themselves in the same way, and not everyone has the same comfort level. Passion doesn't always equal singing loudly, and passion doesn't always equal shouting or throwing your hands in the air at a football game, even though a lot of times these are external evidences of passion. The point is this, let's be a people who are committed to passionately worshiping God in all that we do with all of our hearts and with all of our emotions. God is honored by a people who worship him not as a duty, 
but because their heart truly treasures him above all else, it is a delight for them to worship him. One of the best practical ways we can make this a reality in our own lives is if we follow David's example in the text. David says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you and I will lift up my hands. David sings praises and lifts his hands in worship because God's love is better than life. We shouldn't worship through singing together just because it's a church tradition. We should sing passionately because God is amazing and our hearts are filled. We shouldn't worship God through studying his word and being obedient in our lives simply because we want to go to heaven. Our worship shouldn't be an obligation to us. It should be an honor. We worship and bless God because our hearts are overflowing with love for him. So I would challenge you, don't go through life on autopilot. As you live your life and as you worship God through all that you do, reflect on your heart. Reflect on why you worship and remember that you worship because it is a delight, not a duty. You worship because your heart treasures God above all else. The third and final outcome we're going to talk about from the text that flows from the heart that treasures God is this. Your soul becomes fully satisfied, not longing. Your soul becomes fully satisfied, not longing. We see this in verses 5 through 8. David starts off by saying, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I genuinely love that he says this here. And not just because fat and rich foods taste great, but because I now have a deeper understanding and appreciation of how fat works in our bodies and the role it plays in our health. I actually learned about this in an unusual way. So Recently, Devin and I have been watching a show on Hulu together. It's called Alone. This show is about 10 people who are in a competition, and the goal is to survive in complete isolation in the most desolate places in the wilderness for as long as they can. And the last one standing wins half a million dollars. Well, in the most recent season that we just saw, there was one guy who was particularly impressive. He was the first one in the show in all six seasons to successfully hunt a moose. It was a really great moment. And after he skins the moose, he separates all the protein and the fat from the moose so that he can ration it for as long as he needs in order to survive out in the wilderness. Then what he does is he stores all of his food up in trees so that animals can't get to it. Well, after a few days, something extremely unfortunate happened to him. A wolverine climbed the tree that he had stored all of his moose fat in and took it all. I was so sad when I saw this, but in my head I was like, ah oh, man, well, at least he still has all the protein from the moose, so, so he should still be good, right? Turns out I was completely wrong. Even though he was consuming a good number of calories every day and getting tons of protein, 
his body was actually entering into starvation from a lack of fat and other nutrients. His stomach was satisfied with the protein, yet his body was longing for better nourishment. So his satisfaction was only superficial. He was significantly losing weight. Even though he was eating a good amount every single day, he was slowly dying. So with my new appreciation and understanding of fat and the role that it plays in our diets, I have a much deeper understanding of verse five when David says that his soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. David isn't talking about a superficial satisfaction. He's talking about a genuine and full satisfaction, a satisfaction that doesn't only satisfy his flesh, but a satisfaction that reaches even to his soul. But how does that make sense? Like, why is it that the heart that treasures God above all else fully satisfies the soul? The answer is, it's because our souls long for God. Our souls don't just long for the gifts that God gives us, like love, happiness, health, recreation, money. No. Our souls long for the giver himself, not just the gifts. We see that in verses five through eight, but I love how David says it in verse eight. He says, my soul clings to you. I think of how a newborn baby clings to their mother and the satisfaction that they find in her arms. This is how it is for those of us who have found Christ and treasure God above all else in our hearts, your soul becomes fully satisfied, not longing. If you try to find satisfaction anywhere else, you'll always be longing. God himself is the only one that can truly satisfy the human soul. That's why our hope as Christians is in eternity not because we will be in paradise where there will be no more pain and suffering, but because we will forever be in the presence of the almighty God whom our hearts love and treasure. Our souls long for God, not just the good things he offers us. David knew this very well. If you look at the entire passage, this is clear in and out. David talks about longing for God. Earnestly, I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I will praise you. My soul clings to you. David isn't concerned with the gifts. He is concerned about the giver himself, the one and only God. And all of this while David is in the wilderness at one of his lowest points in life yet his heart is still laser-focused on the one who matters most. And you know what the best part about all this is? It's that Jesus paid it all so that your soul could be fully satisfied and never long for anything else ever again. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you and I were required to live and died the punishing death that you and I deserved so that we could be fully satisfied in him. 
When you believe in Jesus and treasure him above all else, your soul becomes fully satisfied because the spirit of God makes a home inside of your heart. So we've seen three amazing realities through Psalm 63 for the heart that treasures God above all else. Your relationship with God becomes a necessity, not a convenient addition. Your worship becomes a delight, not a duty. And your soul becomes fully satisfied, not longing. These are three realities that bring great hope for the believer of Jesus. But it's all dependent on how you answer the question that we asked at the beginning of the sermon. Because if you're in Christ this morning, you have a treasure that is far more valuable than anything this world can offer you. But do you realize it? Do you recognize the treasure for what it is? Does your heart treasure God above all else? And if not, would this be the year that it does? My prayer is that as we enter into this new year, we would be like the man in the parable of the hidden treasure, or that we'd be like David in Psalm 63, that we would see God for who he really is and treasure him in our hearts above all else. If this is all new to you, and this is the first time you're hearing any of this, I would encourage you to talk to someone about it. Reach out and talk to a trusted friend here that you know at Mill City, or reach out to one of the elders or a leader here. We would love to talk more about this with you. My hope is that God would be softening your heart through his scripture and that he would be drawing you to himself so that you can treasure him with all your heart this year in 2021. Let's pray. God, we have seen in your scriptures that your love is better than life itself. Would that be true in all of our hearts this morning? I pray, I pray so genuinely that that would be true for us. And I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would be making that a reality in our lives. God, we thank you for this new year, for this new tangible sign of hope and relief that we have exiting 2020 and moving into 2021. God, I pray that you would help us, help shape our hearts and our minds this year, that we would cast a vision for this year, that our hearts and our hopes and our minds would be set on you that we would treasure you above all else, God. I pray that this would be true for our church this year, and I pray that that would be a reality in our lives. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.